Good morning, church. It's good to come together to sing to the Lord together. And uh, we're continuing on with our series called The Heartbeat, Heartbeat of a Healthy Church. And last week, we chronicled how through Titus 1, 1 through 4, how eldership is a concept or pattern that's been sent forth from God above. God the Father sends God the Son. God the Son entrusts up apostolic fathers, the apostles and the disciples. The apostles and the disciples father early church fathers to raise up more leaders and more elders. And 2,000 years later, here we are with other church leaders caring for the church. And eldership or elders are basically fathers, fathers of the church, fathers of the church. So I want to just open up this uh, sermon with a question. People have asked me, what happened to this pattern then? If it started from God the Father from eternity past, what happened? And, and, and people have talked to me about, Pastor, this sounds good, but I've never been a part of a local church that has, has been led and cared for by elders. Good question. And providentially, we're going through a book on our Wednesday uh, afternoon book study, which is... Uh, which is made up of our pastors and some guest pastors and some of our lay leaders, elders in the life of the church. And chapter one providentially addressed that question. What happened? Well, somewhere along the 1700, mid-1700s, church leaders prominent, particularly in the Baptistic world, the Baptist world, a guy named Isaac Bacchus, in response to religious hierarchy or, or perhaps bad leadership, started emphasizing individualism and liberty, right, during the mid-1700s. And this author talked about how perhaps even secular figures such as Thomas Jefferson started influencing men like Bacchus as he would lead their churches. So highlighting individualism, highlighting personal liberty, Sounds like the Constitution, right? I mean, in some ways. So you can see we're in response to bad leadership, drawing hope, perhaps uh, wisdom from the world crept into the local church. And so perhaps that's the reason why we've never, some of us have never sat under a church led by elders in the last, I don't know, 150, 200 years or so. But we're going to go to Titus 1, 5 through 6 today. So if you have have your Bibles, turn there, Titus 1, 5 through 6. But um, elders are critical for the health of the local church. We're going to demonstrate this week after week after week. And uh, there is only, well, I don't know about only, but however, there is one thing that's worse than not having elders lead the church. You know what that is? having bad elders lead the church, okay? Alabacus, right, and other things like that. So we want eldership. We do want eldership. However, we want to make sure the right elders are in place. So as Titus was commanded by Christ ultimately, but through Paul, to appoint elders in every city in Crete, and we talked about how large of an island Crete is. I mean, that's a massive, massive job. Perhaps Titus might have been tempted to take any willing body, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you want to serve? Great. Hop on. We need, the need is great. We need you. I mean, the tyranny of need could lower the standards of church leadership. It could. Just because, I understand this, as needs grow, we need to serve and meet the needs of the people. Right? The tyranny of need, uh, caring for the people, this is what elders do. 
Elders show compassion to the people. Elders pray for the people. Elders teach and minister the word to the people. Elders lead the people. Right? This is what the function of an elder is. And as churches are larger, meaning numerically, there needs to be more fathers. I mean, one man, two men, three men cannot do it all. We need more fathers that we have in the local church, the greater care that we'll be having. Alexander Schrock said this in his biblical eldership book. The most common mistake made by churches that are eager to implement eldership is to appoint biblically unqualified men. Because there is always a need for more shepherds. It is tempting to allow unqualified, unprepared men to assume leadership in the church. This is, however, a time-proven formula for failure. A biblical eldership requires biblically qualified elders. Makes sense. And so, in other words, to have a healthy heartbeat throughout a local church, you need to have healthy elders. And so today, in the next couple weeks... Through Paul, God's given us a clear picture of what an elder is. We're going to go through the elder qualifications, in other words. And so this is what marks an elder, and this is what uh, Titus was to look for. So if you have, if you're able to please rise with me. We're going to read Titus 1, 5 through 9 together, but primarily we're going to preach verse 6. Primarily verse 6. I read this to give a greater context, a, a greater picture perhaps of what the qualifications of an elder or church father is to be. Titus 1, verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, who are not accused of dissipation or rebellious. For the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, but not fond of dishonest gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and to reprove those who contradict. This is the word of the Lord. This, these are the qualifications of an elder Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. Show us a greater vision of who you are. The more we know you, the more we know your heart, the more we'll know what an elder is to look like, the more we'll know how to lead our homes well. So thank you, Father, for this time. I pray your spirit will energize the preaching, but also energize the listening as well. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So going backwards from what we just read, qualifications of an elder. Number one, an elder is able to minister the word of God to people. He is gifted to minister the word of God in various ways. Either it's preaching, teaching, maybe counseling, protecting people from false doctrine, ministry of the word of God. Number two, an elder or church father has godly character. Makes sense, right? Verse 7 and 8 talks about having godly character. And today, we're going to focus in on... The elder's home. Elders should have healthy homes. That's a qualification here. And, and then today, the Lord takes us into the home, and quite frankly, this is perhaps a humbling sermon for many of us, including myself. The home is where our loved ones see the best in us, right, gentlemen? But also some of the worst in us at times, sadly. This is the home. And as I've studied uh, verse 6 here of Titus, 
I was definitely taking self-inventory. I mean, I do this every week, but this particularly was very humbling for me as I would just examine myself to what God is saying. And not just to, am I fit to be an elder, but I mean, how am I living as a Christian man? I mean, this is, it's all of that. And the home is the testing and training ground for spiritual leadership. That's what God has designed this for. I mean, the home is where men are tested in their spiritual leadership and trained as well. So this is very important that we understand this. And men are called to lead our homes. In no unclear terms, men are called to lead our homes. In Genesis 3 9, after the fall, do you recall where, who God went to? After the fall, after Eve took the fruit, after Adam took the forbidden fruit, he go, the Lord comes down and says, Adam, where are you? What happened? I'm holding you accountable, Adam. Ephesians 5, 23 says, The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Men are called to lead our homes. There's a lot of accountability that we will need to answer to someday to our Lord himself. And the church is also known as the family of God. John Stott says that the elder has two families, his own to pastor and, and, and to pastor to the church, the family of God. First Timothy 3, 5, Paul makes a lesser to a greater argument on who should be qualified to be an elder. He says this, but if a man does not know how to lead his own household, his own family, in other words, how will he take care of the church of God? Question mark. Makes sense, right? Paul says this is a smaller unit where you have more control, more authority. How are you able to help lead a bigger unit where you may have less control, less time, all that, right? This is a, this is a, this makes perfect sense. So this, now I also want to encourage people to listen here today. This is not just a, a sermon on eldership, like some uh, about church government, and you may care or may not care as much, but I hope that everybody cares. But I want to give you the so what of the sermon, <laughs> you know, meaning why should I listen, Pastor? I want to give you the so what of the sermon so that your everybody's ears are perked up, okay, throughout the whole sermon. Number one, the sermon, the so what of this sermon is this, to unify our, the vision of an elder. What does an elder look like? The church needs to be able to recognize the candidates and to be able to affirm, yes, he is a church father. Number two, to teach us what we all strive to be like. As, we, as Paul talks about elders, this is not just talking about, okay, elders, you have this standard. Every other Christian, you have this standard. Really, this is the standard that every man, woman, and child who are in Christ are striving to be like in the home. Okay, so that it pertains to everyone. Number three, I'm speaking to the singles in here, okay? <laughs> Whoever you are. And, and, and odds are most people end up getting married. That's just how the world has just worked over the years, right? So if you're a single person, this is teaching you, if you're a sister in the Lord, what you're looking for in a man. This is what you're looking for. This is I'm speaking to you in some ways as a father. This is how I speak to my own girls, my own boys. The Bible is going to tell us what you're looking for in a man. And also, vice versa, brothers, if you're single and you're looking for uh, a mate, this is perhaps what you're looking for to help you lead and care for the ch your homes and then it's partly the church. So those are three really practical reasons, guys. So this is where I'm going to try to make, this sermon's going to be very practical, very right to the uh, where we live in a lot of ways because this is off, 
oftentimes what sermons are built on is where I'm living, quite frankly. So this is very practical for me. I hope, I hope this is very helpful for you as well. So point number one, the elder is marked by faultlessness. Faultlessness. Verse six here says, namely, or, or, namely, if any man is beyond reproach, beyond reproach, the Bible says in Titus 1.12, Paul cites a, a prophet of the Cretans or a philosopher of the Cretans, Epimenides, many people think, and which he says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Okay, we talked about that last week. This is some place here, okay? And first century Greek historian Polybius writes, it would be impossible to find, except in some rare instances, personal conduct more treacherous or a public policy more unjust than in Crete. I mean, this is the reputation of Crete, the island. And therefore, the elders, the fathers of the churches of Crete, needs to be distinct from Crete. They could not look like the common Cretan. They could not look like everybody else. This would have been made a mockery of the church. And this is where today elders must be distinct from our world. Elders are fathers, after all, of the church. And elders have is the highest office under Christ to care for and lead for the church. Therefore, the highest of standards must be in place beyond reproach. And even in verse 7, for the overseer or the bishop must be beyond reproach. Paul repeats it twice in this little portion here. Beyond reproach, what does this mean? This word carries the meaning of cannot accuse, seem as blameless, no legal grounds to take into court. Paul uses a very similar concept, but a little bit different wording in 1 Timothy 3, 2, which is the parallel portion for qualifications of an elder. He says an elder must be above reproach. Above reproach. That means he cannot be criticized. It means you cannot grasp him or take custody of him in some kind of a sin. Right? This is, this is the high standard of an elder. Now, clearly Paul is not talking about perfection. Clearly, Paul's not talking about perfection, or else none of us are qualified, including Paul. No, there are no perfect men that you would have to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, you need to pastor the church. In, in a lot of ways, he is through his word, but the Lord actually entrusts broken men to do this. But there is a level of consistency in this man's life. This is what you're looking for in an elder above reproach. In, in other words, this, this candidate or this person does gives no reason for people to stumble to ask questions like, why is he an elder, right? Why is he considered one of the fathers of our church? Nothing to discredit the ministry, to devalue the highest office in the church. John Calvin said, not marked by disgrace, which lessen his authority. So this is above reproach or beyond reproach. This, this is what elders are called to be about. Now, why above reproach? Well, clearly, you, we need to be distinct from the culture, as we talked about, but elders are role models. In other words, fathers, we're role models, are we not, of our homes? This is what, how we are, sets the tone for our families, does it not? I mean, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews thirteen seven says this, imitate their faith talking about the leaders of the church, the elders of the church. Hosea 4.9 in the Old Testament, God says, like people, like priests. 
So elders, church fathers need to be examples. In other words, people may ascend despite poor leadership, meaning it's possible to grow spiritually despite having poor leadership, but people generally do not rise above the level of their leaders. That's usually the case. I mean, you just look at any family unit, any dysfunction, any issues that there have not been resolved for generation after generation is a clear indication of that, right? So we need to find healthy elder candidates who are above and beyond reproach. Application here. In 1 Timothy 3, it talks about the qualifications of an elder. And right after that, it talks about the qualifications of a deacon. A deacon is basically um, a servant, a servant leader. We have a leadership committee. And I, my encouragement is this. Examine this, everybody, First Timothy 3, and see that the only big difference is this. The only qualification difference is this between an elder and a deacon is that the elder must be able to minister to the word of God. Whereas the deacon is talked about having the similar uh, character qualifications, home qualifications of an elder. So therefore, I'm going to apply this to our leaders right now. Leaders, let's examine ourselves right now. As we listen to the sermon this week and the following week, examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. I'm talking to every single pastor on staff, every staff member, every executive board member, every leadership committee member, every trustee, every teacher with the children and uh, ace and other things, every music leader, every life group or branch leader. You know, and if you're thinking about you might be an elder candidate, really examine yourselves, men and women. So think about that. This is a very important uh, topic that we really examine how we are to be. And the first area of being beyond reproach is starts in the home. This is where now we get into the home. Above or beyond reproach is the big umbrella of what the uh, elder is to be like. But beyond reproach in the home. Elders are fathers, as, as we said. But f- our first ministry, although we love the local church, is to our homes. is to our wives and children if you're married or, and if you have children. All right, this is our first ministry, and this is an indicator of your ability to lead spiritually, how you're leading your homes. So point number two, the elders marked by fidelity. Fidelity, I like that word. Fidelity, it just sounds good, doesn't it? It just sounds right, fidelity. Fidelity carries the meaning of being loyal, being committed. Hosea 2, 19 and 20, which was read by Sister Kim, talks about how God would betroth himself to Israel with, with a type of fidelity, loving kindness, with a compassion. But he says, I promise you, Israel, even if you're not faithful, I will be faithful to you. Ephesians 5, 32, marriage is compared to uh, the union that Christ has with the church. All right, so marriage picture is a huge picture that gives us the picture of how Christ loves the church. And in Crete, the Greco-Roman culture was not very good. Basically, concubines, prostitutes, divorce was rampant in this culture, right? In some ways, if you were to be involved with someone in your lower class, that was okay. That's kind of the attitude of the day. And in our contemporary culture, sadly, it seems kind of similar in a lot of ways. We could, be, we could throw stones at the Cretans all day, but as we look at our day, 2023, we're kind of similar in a lot of ways. And just Christianity today, 
reports, according to Focus on the Family, the ministry Focus on the Family, an estimated one-third of men and one-fourth, a third of the men and a fourth of the women have admitted to engage in extramarital sexual act. One in three, one in four. I mean, that, that's, that's Cretan-like, sounds like to me. It sounds very Cretan-like. Therefore, elders must be distinct from the world. I mean, the fathers of the church, right? This is a very serious issue here. And so that's why right here in Titus chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this. Namely, if a man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, the husband of one wife, literally translated from the original language, a one-woman man or a one-woman husband, a one-woman man. An elder must be a one-woman man. What is this talking about? Certainly, if you're married, you need to be faithful to your wife. But I believe how Paul phrases this, a one-woman man, this is talking not only about marital fidelity, but just uh, internal purity, internal and external purity. Right? This is talking about the fidelity. And so, is a man faithful in heart, but also in action? You could be a single man. Are you being faithful right now? Certainly, if you're a married man, are you being faithful right now? A one-woman man. Andrew Nacelli, also my, one of my lecturers from our seminary, Andrew Nacelli offers two reasons why. This is not necessarily talking about the qualifications of an elder needed to be married. Although most elders probably would be married or had been married in, in, as a widow or something like that. But Andrew Nacelli says this is talking about sexual fidelity. He offers two reasons. He offers the example of Jesus not being married, and many theologians, scholars believe that Paul and Timothy were single as well. Singleness. 1 Corinthians 7, Andrew Nacelli points out how Paul talks about the gift of singleness, how Paul actually elevates, if you have the gift of singleness, man, what a wonderful thing, because you get to be more focused on the Lord and focused on the gospel ministry other than having two divided uh, focuses. So therefore, I believe this is talking about a one-woman man is talking about your own fidelity, your own internal and external purity. And this is a huge indicator on if you're perhaps called to be an elder. You know, you're faithful to the most important human relationship in your life. Obviously, our most important relationship is with Christ. But if you're married, your wife or your husband is the most important human relationship in your life. Theologian Ryan Yarbrough comments, for most, if not all, human males, this is a litmus test of their character in every other domain of their lives. At least as far as God is concerned, who sees the heart, knowing that a man has proven himself to be faithful to the most important human relationship in his life is critical in identifying an elder candidate. Very clear. In other words, if you're not able to be faithful to your bride, your one bride, how can you be expected to be faithful to the bride of Christ? Another lesser to greater argument, right? Very clear. Let's apply this now. What does this look like? A one woman man. Sisters, apply it to yourself too. You know, what does fidelity look like? Number one, I got three pictures of this. Number one, Fidelity looks like maintaining physical fidelity. Exodus twenty fourteen says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's physical adultery. 
this is extramarital sex, this is inappropriate, this is wrong. In, in no unclear terms, that's very clear. And sadly, this is, I know the men had more as one-third, but evidently women are involved in this as well. So this is not just a man issue. Maintaining fidelity is something that we need to do no matter what, if you're man or woman. Number two, what does fidelity look like? Maintaining mental fidelity. Mental fidelity, gentlemen. Matthew 5, 27, 28 talks about, if you, even if you looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. What are you thinking about? Brothers and sisters, I, I hear, I've been reading studies where women are getting more and more involved in viewing inappropriate things online. Right? What are you looking at? What are we looking at? I mean, we do live in a sexualized, pornographic culture. This is where we live. This is perfect how Paul is talking to the Cretans because we can relate to this in many ways. And you may be rationalizing in your mind, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting you. I'm, I'm just looking. I'm, I'm never going to act upon this. And odds are, according to statistics, many of us in here are being pricked to the heart right now. Many of us in here. And, and thank God for the grace of God. Amen? But this is the truth. Even if you don't act on it, God sees you as an adulterer. But sadly enough, married men, if you're addicted to this sort of a thing, it oftentimes leads to opening the door to physical adultery. It's like level one to level two. Be warned. And number three, I want to talk about a third one that could be a lot sneakier. Number one and two are pretty clear. Number one and two are pretty clear. It doesn't take much to go, yeah, I could see that. Number three is a lot more sneakier. All right, it's maintaining emotional fidelity. What, is, what are we talking about here, Pastor? Maybe any inappropriate relationships with people of the opposite sex, particularly if you're married, right? You're flirting. You uh, have inappropriate closeness with a, a, a man or woman. That's emotional infidelity. I mean, think about it. With this day and age with virtual friends and texting and all kinds of access to one. I mean, everybody's uh, uh, out with different activities, working. I mean, just think about so many different types of relationships that are out there. I mean, think about it, men and women. At the workplace, people see see it at our best. At home, they kind of see kind of the best and the worst too, right? But at home, generally, people see us at our best. They see you at your best. I mean, you may be thinking, nah, that's not a big deal. He's just a ministry partner. We just do a lot of ministry together. We just like to pray together, right? I mean, you could Christianize some of these things. And it's only a part of my work life. We, we have to do this. We have to keep eating out and do this together. We have to go out after work. Otherwise, that's just, that's just how it is. So I can't come home tonight because I got to go, go eat out with the folks tonight. I mean, that's how it is. We're just friends, right? I mean, these things could be what's rattling around in your mind right now. And here's a good test here if maybe lines are, lines are being crossed or being close to being crossed. If your spouse feels uncomfortable, be considerate to their feelings. Minimally show them love and respect. Be considerate to how they feel about things. We all have our radars and we all have instincts. We all have eyes and ears. We all understand. If something makes your spouse feel uncomfortable, be considerate. 
Here's another thought. If you are more excited to see her than your wife, be warned. Right? I mean, these are real things that we need to think about. We need to think about this. And I want to just share this. You know, if you failed physically in your marriage, statistically, people have. If, if, in here, there's chance are statistically, someone in here, some people in here have failed physically in their marriage. There's grace. Obviously, there's grace. We want everyone to be restored to the fellowship. We want marriages to be restored. The power of the gospel says that you're forgiven if you're truly in Christ. Eldership's probably not for you, though. Eldership's probably not for you, and we understand that, right? Beyond reproach. Anything that will cause anybody to stumble, thinking, why is he an elder, needs to be considered, right? We need to protect that. Let me just speak to you as a father a little bit, if that's okay. Here's a thought here, just maybe a thought, you know. We all need to remember this. We all need to be humble and and think this. Just remember, we're not as exciting as we think we are, okay? (laughs) We're not. We're not. We're not. I mean, sin is knocking at your door. Let me just read to you what a father spoke to his son out of Proverbs 6. 26 to 29. This is what happens, gentlemen. This is what happens, gentlemen, when you're involved with a harlot. It says this, For an, for an account of a harlot, Proverbs six twenty six to 29, if you want to read along with me. For on, on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. That means this, gentlemen, all that you've been working for, your finances, your reputation, your legacy, so to speak, is reduced to a loaf of bread. How much is a loaf of bread worth? That's what you're going to be reduced to. And look, not only that, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. They don't want you. They don't want what you have, in other words. If they're coming after you, like I said, you're not that exciting. You're not that cool. Think about it, okay? There's a reason why they're coming. They're hunting for you, the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Question mark. Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Question mark. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. He will not go unpunished. Proverbs 7, he goes on to say this. He, the man who goes after this type of thing, suddenly follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, like a dumb ox. You can't think anymore. You've been reduced to an animal and you're going, you're going to be slaughtered here. And he does not know that it will cost him his soul. His soul. This is the life that the enemy wants to have for you. Where you will be ineffective and distraught for the rest of your life. These are some things that you cannot completely recover from on this side of eternity. We all make mistakes I understand that. We all make mistakes, me included. But there are some mistakes that stay with you. Doesn't mean God sees us that way if you're forgiven in Christ, but the consequences of these things follow us. These are real things. Therefore, if I could speak to you as a father, guard your first ministry, gentlemen, sisters, guard your first ministry, your marriage. Even above your kids, even above your children, your wife, your, your husband is your first ministry. Singles, guard your future. You may be thinking, I'm not married yet. Well, guard your future. Guard what you're going to tell your kids someday. 
Guard what you're going to tell your wife someday, your future wife, if you have one. If you're married with children, guard your future, guard your legacy. Think about people that have come before you and come after you. Think about these things. We used to take a lot of road trips, a lot of road trips, and I've shared this before in the past, and I want to share different elements of this, but a lot of hotel rooms, a lot of lobbies for me, a lot of bus rides, a lot of... uh, Late nights, a lot of Chicago trips, a lot of San Diego trips, uh, Charlotte, Atlanta, you name it. They're all over the country as a professional coach. And I remember sitting in my uh, hotel room, and and I got a phone call from one of the men that has been discipling me for quite some time, Mike Sylvester. And he just said, hey, Rocky, um, what are you doing right now? What are you watching right now? And knowing that I'm on the road, I said, um, I'm just reading my Bible, Mike. <laughs> I'm ta- I was about to call my wife until you called me, Mike. No, but I, I get what he was doing. What a brother. What a father figure to me. He's saying, hey, I know you're on the road. What are you doing? What are you looking at? I love that. I love him for that. I love him for that. And hopefully I could do, I'm doing that for other men as well. I love the fact that he called me. To be honest with you, I didn't turn on the television when I got into the room. I didn't, I didn't watch any of those things. I'm not hanging out in the lobby. I'm hanging out with my teammates. I'm hanging out with my Christian men. We're going out to find the best uh, uh, clam chowder place in Boston. We're trying to find some crab in, in Baltimore. That's what we're doing in our free time. And afterwards, we're going to our football stuff. And afterwards, we're having Bible study and then, and then having a snack and going to bed. That's pretty much what we did. And it was fun. It was great. I loved it. I loved staring at Dave in my face. Wonderful. You see, gentlemen and sisters, the battles won or lost in your minds. What you think about, what you allow yourself to go into is where you win or lose the battle. It's, the war is fought here. And at what point does it go from temptation to sin? I get it. We're going to be tempted. And quite frankly, gentlemen, you know what we've done and seen in the past oftentimes serves as the greatest source of temptation in our lives. You know this. Sisters, too. But at what point is it a temptation? Oh, Lord, no, I don't want to think about this. I don't want to think about it. Let me call my brother. Hey, this is what's going on. Pray for me. To indulging in that thought. You just fell off the cliff right there. Right? And, and that's really the real war that rages even for fathers. If you, if, if perhaps you're unique and maybe the one percentile or something, this doesn't affect you. Maybe, maybe there's people like that. But for the most part, you all be like, yes, yes, I understand what you're saying, pastor. This is the war right here. And, and, and quite frankly, my thoughts just give you, get, let you into my head. I'm, as I, I'm starting, I'm thinking about the God who cannot lie, who promised eternal, uh, eternal life from eternity past. I'm thinking about these sort of things. The Spirit brings these type of things into my mind as I'm saturated with the Word of God. You have to have a counter to all the junk that we're seeing through our eyes and our ears and be saturated with God's Word. And at the right time, the Spirit energizes these things and brings them to mind. And we see that God is better than any of this other stuff. Where Christ, you're enough. Christ, you're worth more than all this. I want you, Christ. I don't want this. That's the dialogue that's happening. That's when, when Thessalonians talk about, or talks about pray without ceasing. This is what he's talking about. No one just sits there all day in his bedroom and prays 24 hours. That's, that, no one does that. 
prayer life is a constant interaction with the Spirit and, and, with, and, and, and as He energizes the Word in us, we see this. I'm spending a lot more time on this because I, I just feel this is a very important area. We naturally love our children, I think, kind of, right? But I think this area, I need to spend more time here. I, I wanted to care for the church in this way. If you think you're an elder candidate, maybe this. The wife is an extension of the elder. So how your, your, her spiritual health is, is really how you're doing in a lot of ways. Her support of your role as an elder is critical because it is rigorous in, in ministry at times. And, and, and the rigors of ministry are going to expose that lack of support or a lack of connectivity with your bride. I promise you it's going to happen. God's grown our marriage through ministry. It's been amazing. It's been challenging, but amazing. You need to share the calling if you're called to be an elder. Your wife needs to look at you as two becomes one flesh and look at you in the eyeball and go, yeah, we're supposed to do this. I get it. She's not going to be preaching from the pulpit and these things, but she's right there with us. Our wives are there, right there with us. Don't think this is just a disconnected men's club. This is our wives are right there with us. I promise you that. Fidelity. Like I said, it just sounds good, doesn't it? You want to have a life marked with fidelity, right? It's not perfect, but be have a, being a man of fidelity. Sisters, that's what you're looking for. Can you trust them? Can you trust them? Can you trust them and hand the keys over to your life to him? Not that he's your God, but you're basically submitting to him as your pastor, you leave your father's uh, uh, coverage. Now I'm saying I'm entrusting myself to this man. Can you do that? Fidelity. Look for fidelity in, in, in the life of people around you. Finally, the third point is this. The elder is marked by faithful children. Let me, uh, the role, let me read this to you um, out of verse 6 before I talk about the role. Namely, if any man is beyond reproach, comma, the husband of one wife, a one woman man, comma, having faithful children, having faithful children. The role of fathers is clear in, in Christian fathers, that is. In Deuteronomy 6, our role is to teach our children to fear and love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength in no unclear terms. That's number one, and everything else is underneath that. Our, our role as dads and and, and, and Children, young and old, just know that your Christian dad wants you to love Christ more than anything else. Of course, work is important and living and all that stuff is important. I understand that. But just know that if you have a godly father, he wants you to love Christ more than anything else. And fear the Lord. You take him seriously. And everything else will flow from there. Everything else will flow from there. I believe that this portion is talking about having faithful children. But your Bible, as you read it, the NASB, ESV, English Standard Version, NIV, New International Version, says believing. Uh, a man must have a believe, have believing children. The Legacy Standard Bible, which I'm preaching out of, the New King James Version, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the New uh, uh, 
The NET Bible talks about faithful. So it's kind of divided. You could kind of see this word, uh, is it, this word is pistos in the original language. Is pistos talking about faithful children or believing children? Faithful meaning submitted to the father's authority, trustworthy. They respect the father's uh, leadership so they, they obey him. Believing meaning a regenerate, born again person. So this is a big interpretation because does an elder need to have believing children? Not just says, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I mean, they're born again and, and, and they are lovers and followers of Jesus Christ. Of course, it's hard to tell at a young age. And we'll know more when people are adults. But I'm arguing for faithful, and I'm going to tell you why, just because I want to teach you kind of how I came to this conclusion. Which is it, faithful or believing? And so I just did a word study. Pistos could mean either believing, faithful, trustworthy. It could mean any of those. How does Paul use pistos? Well, Paul uses it for believing, believing people and faithful, trustworthy people. He uses it both ways. Now, what is the immediate context? So let's just turn our eyes. I always want you to just look to the, the, the black and white text to see what I'm saying here. Having faithful children, comma, please elaborate more, Paul. What do you mean by that? Who are not accused of dissipation or rebellious. As I look at the immediate context of pistos here, I believe that Paul's talking about their behavior. The emphasis is on behavior. Accuse of dissipation. This means wildness, debauchery. Rebellious means talking about not submitted. Having mutiny against your father's rule or authority. Well, there's more. Let's, let's turn to 1 Timothy 3, 4. Just turn to the left a few books. 1 Timothy 3, 4. Like I said, this is the parallel portion of a, a qualifications of an elder. 1 Timothy 3, 4 says it's leading his own household well, comma, what does that look like, uh, uh, Paul? Having his children in submission with all dignity. Submission. Therefore, with that and... A lot of other things, I've consulted commentaries and talked to many people, prayed definitely, but I believe that Paul is calling for faithful children under the care of the man. Particularly children who are living in their home, particularly children who are supported by their dad still. College, yes, definitely. If particularly, you know, pay for help, pay for the car or the tuition, you know, things like that. Certainly you're under your father's care still. I think there's way less weight on that as the child is a grown person living their own lives, paying their own mortgage, doing their thing. Certainly, adult children are called to obey still, but we're talking about the qualifications of an elder. After all, Ephesians 1, uh, 6, 1, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians 3.20, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. So children, young and old, if you're a young child here, it is right to please uh, the Lord by obeying your parents. You need to obey your parents, mom and dad, not just dad, mom and dad. And younger men who are kind of growing into uh, teenage years and a little bit over, if you have a hard time obeying your mom, but you obey your dad, there's a problem there. 
Right? That's unacceptable. You're basically disobeying your dad by not honoring your mother. Your mother, basically, in effect, dishonoring God. You need to obey your mothers. You need to obey your mothers, and, and you know what I'm talking about. So clearly, the, the, the Bible, Paul says, for children to obey your parents. And children, there's no perfect kids and parents. There are no perfect children. We all, we know this. So let's extend some grace here. But look what it says in Ephesians 6, 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3, 21 says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Although children are, obey, are commanded to obey their fathers and mothers, as we know, even in our workplaces, it's easier to obey some other people than others, right? It, it's hard. Some people make it hard to obey them, although we may be called to obey them. Obviously, children, we don't obey our parents if they're calling us to sin. But look what it's saying, that fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Lose heart, what does that mean? Lose motivation to wanting to obey. I think children, for the most part, want to obey, for the most part. Now, we're, we're all sinners, I get that, but... They want to obey. But some people, some children could lose heart in depending on how the leadership is. Men, if you don't have any children, maybe harder to discern, but I, don't, I, I believe this is not talking about you having to have a child to be an elder. We need to see other opportunities, how you function. Who are your spiritual children? Who are you raising up? Who are you discipling, right? This is, these are the type of relationships that we will need to look at. Let me just apply this to what we're going through here now. Just like children can be exasperated or provoked to anger when there's ungodly leadership, the church can be discouraged and disheartened to have leadership who are not qualified to be elders or even deacons as well. So leaders, if you're not living this, if people are seeing a disconnect from your faith, this could be very discouraging for those who serve under you. Just like our children could be discouraged by us if we're being ungodly. Leaders who are not Christ-like. Leaders who may not even be Christian. That's very discouraging for the church. Maybe they're placed because of relationships. Maybe your professional background. Maybe your ability. Maybe you're just willing to serve. Maybe people in kind-heartedness want to give you an opportunity to grow. This is going to help them grow. (laughs) Some roles aren't meant for training grounds, okay? There's other roles for that, but not leadership roles. That's not a good reason. We need to have healthy elders with healthy homes. I'm going to give some to our fathers and to our mothers. How does one exasperate children? I have four reasons here. I'm going to go quickly through them. How does one exasperate your children? Number one, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I believe the best leadership is the leaders themselves. Meaning, as you, are you a walking example? Are you a walking uh, sermon as people see you and your people that you lead see you? Nobody's perfect. I understand that. But hopefully your children do not see you as a mask wearer. Meaning, do you lack genuineness in your confession of Christ? Meaning, do the children see you as an actor acting one way at church and at home another person? Acting one way with friends and family but another person at home? That's not healthy. 
We're talking about genuineness too and not perfection. That, that, that would discourage your children. Right? If you say, hey, let's honor the Lord and your life has nothing to do with that, that's going to be very discouraging. Number two, do you lack a relationship with them? Man, praise God for people who work hard for support their families. That What an incredible thing. Sadly, I've seen situations where men aren't even involved in that way. So praise God, keep it up. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Do you know your children? Do their children know who you are? Do they know you? Do they actually know you? Do you have you taken time to capture their hearts? You take them out. You spend time when you throw the ball with them. You, you, let's let's go get a hamburger. I mean anything. Let's go take a ride to the hardware store together and pick up some nails. I mean anything, right? Anything. It's just like do you go. That's why you take road trips together, right? That's the reason why. Brothers, we need to embrace the mantle of fatherhood. Carry that with pride and dignity, pride in the good way, that this is from God and I need to answer to him. I'm concerned that we may be good at maybe uh, caring for the little ones, but when they become teenagers and they have their own opinions, like, whoa, what happened there? Get involved. You're the dad. You're the mom, right? Get involved. Stay involved. Engage in that. Do they know that you're thinking about them? So number one, hypocrisy, lack of relationship. Number three, unreasonable expectations. Unreasonable demands. I mean, you're expecting them to be perfect when we ourselves are not perfect. You're perhaps even asking them to act like Christians when they're not even Christians. That could be discouraging, confusing. You could be emphasizing a certain moralism than the grace and love of Christ. No affirmations, all criticism, never good enough. These are not good things. Perhaps your children are a means to fulfill your goals. Your goals, so you can see them, what kind of scholar they are, what kind of athlete they are. That's discouraging. They know if it's for you or if it's for them. Number four, finally, the relationship with the parents. What is a mother and father relationship like? That could be encouraging or discouraging for the child. Ephesians 5.33 says this, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That develops and creates a culture of security for the children. And gentlemen, notice how it says, love your own wives as himself first, and then wives must respect, must see to that she respects her husband. This is called a leadership of love. Just like wives are supposed to obey, uh, respect their husbands, it's a whole lot easier to respect someone that loves you. And, and sisters, if you're in a difficult situation, respect, respect unto the Lord. But men, we make it a whole lot easier I know in my low points, it's hard for Charlotte to respect me at times, but I know when I'm singing her song too, you know, I mean, you get what I'm saying, that we are able to care for our wives. It starts with us. I mean, can you see it? How the pattern starts off, gentlemen? It starts with the men. 
Certainly women could uh, do your part in encouraging the man to love and to lead well with your words of affirmation and your, your, your humble submission. All these things encourage a good man to lead well. But gentlemen, it starts with us. It starts with us. So an elder, what does an elder look like? He's above reproach, he's faultless. An elder is, maintains a level of fidelity. He's faithful to his wife if he has one. If he's not, he's faithful right now. And finally, the elder has faithful children, biological, even spiritual children may be an indicator of that. But I want to leave with some hope here because as I left, as I studied verse 6 all week long, I wasn't exactly feeling better about myself, right? I'm like, I don't feel like I was disqualified yet. It humbled me. If you're honest with yourselves, it was dead silent on some of my points here, guys. I just want you to know. But gulp, you could feel it right there, right? And we could grow in our fidelity, every single one of us. For sure, mentally, right? I mean, that, that's where the war is fought, I, I talked about. If we're honest with ourselves, we could be more consistent with our walk in our, at home, 100%, right? We know this. Every single one of us should say, yeah, amen. If we're honest, gentlemen, we know we could all be better spiritual leaders. So I'm going to leave you with this. Leave us with this, myself. I'm talking to myself, too. Ephesians also says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's hard to give away what you don't have, gentlemen. Meaning, if you don't know the love of Christ, it's hard to love like Christ. How well do you know God's love? You may be a born-again person, but man, you're like a spiritual baby. You barely know him. Thomas Watson said this, he's a Puritan, a master theologian in his day. He says, the Bible is God's love letter to the child of God. Have you spent time reading God's love letter to you? Do you know the love of God in Christ Jesus? This is the key. Do you know how much it costs the Father to send the Son to save sinners like you and me. This is what Christianity is about. If you're a guest, Christianity is about God saving us from hell, from judgment, because we're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. And God sent his son to die for us, to pay the price that we all deserve, so that he could forgive us and treat us like his own. So he could could treat us as his sons and daughters, so he could marry us to his son, Jesus Christ. You see how all that works? We, the church, are a love gift to the Son, who the Father loves so much. We're part of this relationship now. It's amazing. I mean, the more I get lost in the Word, you just see more and more glorious wonders like this. It's all from the Father. It's all from the Father. So if you are not a believer, if you have not given your life to Christ, you've not accepted His love for you, you cannot love like this. And as a Christian... You have the potential to love like this because you have the spirit in you. But if you don't know the love of Christ, you haven't studied the scriptures and meditated and trusted him in these things. Then we all had knowledge. Right now you're just saying he's talking about the love of Christ, but it doesn't mean that much to you because perhaps you don't know the God who saved you very well. We need to know him more. Amen? So there's grace. There's grace. But at the end of the day, 
it all flows. For, for the love of Christ controls us, as Paul wrote, right? For the love of Christ pressures us. Pressure squeezes more love out of us to overflow to our wives, to our kids, and to the church. It all starts from the Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this portion of scripture and what a glorious look into heaven and how you, how, how our household, our family is like in heaven. How you, Father, are the one who loves us so much. Thank you, Father. Back in Hosea, you said that you make a covenant, uh, a, a love relationship with Israel. How you will be loving and, and, and gracious and merciful to Israel. Thank you how we're able to link that to Ephesians 5. How Christ, you say that your marriage was marriage is like the union between Christ and the church. Thank you for this. Thank you, Father, that you model what loving fatherhood looks like. Father, I pray for greater uh, levels of being beyond reproach for our church as a whole. I pray, Father, for greater levels of fidelity in our relationships. I pray that you will grow our leadership level. But we all know it all flows from knowing your love more. So grow our knowledge of how much you love us more through the word and by the power of your spirit. Father, we pray for the elders who you appointed to be recognized easily by the church, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.